In this episode, I pick up my conversation with Derek Lane as he shares his journey in technology, software development, the Agile Manifesto, and best of all, how it all relates to barbecue. Every weekend, I would, would try to, to smoke something. It was definitely this pursuit of, of craftsmanship. I, I, I start out with something, you know, the idea is you start with something simple. You're going to do chicken, you're going to do uh, ribs, and that's the idea. Uh, well, I'm in Texas, and Texas brisket is king. I don't know how many mistakes I made. I'm sure there were many, but I do know that when after probably about uh, 12 to 14 hours taking a brisket off that none of us could eat it. Uh, I learned a, a very valuable principle at that time. And, and this is back when you could still buy briskets for uh, 40, 50 cents a pound. I mean, if it's on sale now, it's $2.50, uh, $3. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and if it's not, it's quite a bit more than that. So it's a very expensive hobby, is my point, for you to make something that you can't, you know, you can't eat. Some of the techniques I learned, some of the principles that I learned were really to try to figure out how do I, how do I make that dollar go a little longer? Welcome to The Long Way Around the Barn, where we discuss many of today's technology adoption and transformation challenges and explore varied ways to get to your desired outcomes. There's usually more than one way to achieve your goals. Sometimes the path is simple. Sometimes the path is long, expensive, complicated, and or painful. In this podcast, we explore options and recommended courses of action to get you to where you're going now. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting. For those wanting to defend or extend their market share, Trility simplifies, automates, and secures your world, your way. Learn how you can experience reliable delivery results at Trility.io. Today, I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. And I believe it's near and dear to your heart, which is not only meat, and today we'll talk about barbecue, but also then agile, what is agile, and how might barbecue and agile have this weird interrelationship that maybe not everybody else cross maps in their head, but today we're going to talk about meat. Barbecue in particular. Does that sound reasonable? Well, barbecue always sounds reasonable to me. Tell us a little bit about where you've come from. Like just highlights of your journey, uh, general mindsets, where you are today and where you're heading. And then let's mold that into um, one of the things that you use to teach people and guide and coach and mentor and just generally pair with folks, which is uh, this analogy or this mapping between barbecue and agile and and, uh, where we go from there. But first, teach us a little bit about you, please, and thank you. Okay. Um, Well, originally... Uh, my career kind of started as uh, what I call hard engineering, uh, architecture, civil engineering, um, uh, mechanical engineering, uh, computer drafting, that type of thing. And this is back, uh, this is back when DOS was still the, uh, the primary PC operating system. Uh, as a matter of fact, it was relatively new. So uh, uh, that, that'll give uh, everybody definitely dating myself there. Um, did that for several years and was able to learn, I guess, that all the way up through what was considered, uh, you know, the best uh, computer engineering and drafting systems at the time, um, and really felt like uh, I had kind of explored uh, a lot of what I wanted to learn. 
uh, and felt like, hey, this is this is pretty early in my career, and I feel like I've already kind of seen uh, all the landscape. What's next? Um, and about that time was kind of the emergence of these new things like uh, Microsoft Windows and uh, Linux and other operating systems that are going out there. Uh, and that uh, also le led to op uh, open source software. So at some point I decided, let me go on the other side of the screen. Let me, let me see what it's like to actually write a lot of code. And at some point around uh, the late 90s, uh, it was 99, 2000, uh, was working on a project for a startup and somebody mentioned to me that uh, something I was doing sound, looked extreme and uh, was it extreme programming? And I, th I thought he was making a joke because uh, XP was used as uh, a lot of other things uh, for a lot of other abbreviations, I guess you should say. And I thought he was making a joke, looked into it. Uh, this is all really pre-internet. So, you know, you had to call the bookstore. You had to go down to look in the library. I mean, this, this is, this is back, uh, before you could just look it up on Amazon and, uh, found Kent Books, uh, Kent Beck's book, uh, uh ex extreme programming, uh, explained, uh, embrace change and, uh, was just fascinated by the style of the book. Uh, every, every chapter is two to three pages long. Um, the fact that he was communicating in a very abstract way, but was talking about how do you deliver uh, the pragmatic aspects of uh, value. And uh, when I got through all of it, I really felt like, hey, I've, I'm doing a lot of this stuff, but I've never heard of this extreme programming. Where is it? You know, what is this? Um, my background, kind of, I guess the formal training I'd received was definitely in the waterfall, uh, spiral, um, and ultimately unified process. So really big things, which were all you know, state of the art at the time. And realizing XP was one of these things now called the lightweight methodology. And so then I learned about uh, feature-driven development and ultimately about uh, Scrum and Crystal and, and, and many others uh, got to try some of those uh, at different points and eventually realized, you know what? I've written a lot of code. I've, I've architected a lot of systems. I've used lots of different technology. And that's still interesting and fascinating to me. But the thing that seems to be the, the hardest thing is the people problem. Um, when I was learning software, my opinion was that technology was about 90% of the problem. That there was so many technologies. Back then, you had to decide what kind of database you were going to use. Uh, I mean, there were so many decisions that you had to make from a technical standpoint. And then you had to get all those things to work together. Um, so people was really the small, small part of the problem as I, I, of course, technology became more standardized, but became more variable too, because now you've got more, more technologies, you've got more, uh, languages, you have lots of new ideas on how to build things. Eventually I moved over to, uh, hey, there's lots of people who can write code. Ultimately, once I understood a little more about the agile mindset, uh, and learned about lean, lean startup, lean enterprise, those types of things, uh, how, just how to manage waste. How to identify and manage all the different kinds of waste that are part of the process. Ultimately, I got to this idea of saying, okay, that's the real problem. How do you get people to, to decide what they want when they really don't know? How do you get people to work together, uh, and actually work together, not in the same room or the same department or, you know, meet every once a week? No, actually work together. Um, and being able to see the nuance of, of the, uh, interactions of people. Um, and how that resulted in uh, what was delivered and whether or whether anything was delivered at all. Um, and so uh, I, I decided, well, let me spend a little more time learning, learning this, uh, this uh, human aspect of delivering products. 
Um, and that's kind of uh, where I think I've spent a little more time. So I've, I've spent a little less time, but I kind of inverted my formula. I think it's now probably uh, 99, 90, 90 to 95% is a people problem. And it's really about five to 10% a technology problem. But to be fair, that obviously with things like, uh, you know, uh, free Amazon Web Services and Google Cloud and, and uh, the proliferation of technology that's available, that's definitely had an impact as well. So this, so the journey that you've been on, though, is really a journey of realization. And I'm going to amplify right now that um, this journey of realization, in my opinion, my interpretation or my perception of the things you said is really a byproduct of the type of personality who's constantly wanting to know more, wanting to see more, wanting to understand, asking why. In other words, you don't just accidentally discover, hey, I'm doing things that are like this XP thing. I wonder what that means. You choose it. All that stuff is done on purpose. So right off the bat, what, in my opinion, you've already illustrated is you have a hunger to learn and become and evolve. Like you're always looking out the windows saying, all right, I'm doing this thing, but am I doing this thing well? Am I doing it usefully? And you believed everything was 90% tech and 10% people. And then through the years, you've discovered that, dude, it's it's 90% people and 10% tech. That realization could have been prompted to you by reading it in a book, but it really sounds like you've discovered it by living. Yes, it's a constant learning curve. And as I moved into software, it was the same way. Um, and uh, I've, I've been uh, had a lot of uh, frustrated folks who, uh, who say, why are you spending time with that? Why aren't you spending here doing the thing that you know we're paying you to do or this one thing that we've already spent time on? Why are you looking at this other thing? Um, it's been, I've, I've been, uh, I've been chastised more than once for that. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't until probably, I would say in the early two thousands that I learned that there was actually a, a diagnosis for it, uh, that, that people, uh, actually have been, uh, uh, classified as a continuous learner. Uh, this idea that, uh, that, you know, that there's actually something wrong with me, uh, may be true. Um, but they can't blame it on the fact that I like to learn new stuff and that I'm always working to learn how to get better. They can blame that on something else, but they can't blame it on that. But if we fast forward then on that journey, this has led you to a current endeavor or activity that you're working on called Unlimited Agility, or in particular, something that you've used as like the tip of the spear called the 20-Day Agility Challenge. Um, and I believe, based on what I've studied and learned and, 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 and discussed and considered as it relates to what you're doing, the entire focus is on enabling, equipping, and educating people. Essentially, the 20-Day Agility Challenge is uh, my attempt to take a lot of the lessons I've learned uh, almost all through mistakes or misunderstandings on my part and uh, put them in a format that over a period of 20 days, an individual can be challenged uh, against the Agile Manifesto. Uh, and the unique aspect of this, or what my hope is, um, obviously it's difficult to have your hands in the middle of something and not get some of you on it. Uh, but my hope is that, that the person is challenging themselves against the Agile Manifesto as I understand it today, not as, uh, not against Derek's way of doing things, not as against Derek's version of Agile. Uh, my hope is that this is independent of me as much as can be, and I've, I've gone through a number of uh, folks that uh, I've worked with over the years that I respect a lot to go through and review it, uh, to give me feedback, to tell me how we can improve it, uh, you know, actually applying the, the principles in the manifesto to building uh, this particular challenge. You know, the, the, one of the things about agility is that you have to uh, 
you have to, to decide, as you said, are you going to really pursue this? Or are you just going to do the minimum that someone says you have to do to check the box and go on down the road? If you're really going to get better, uh, whether that you don't have to be a coach or a scrum master, if you want to understand agility and how it applies to business, to everyday life, to some uh, you know organization that you're involved in, you're going to have to work at it. Um, so that, that's the intent of the 20-day agility challenge. And then uh, with some feedback there uh, early on of, uh, well, this is great. It's designed for an individual to do it themselves. But, uh, you know, everybody's not the kind of individual who wants to do this by themselves. They'd rather go through it with a group. So how can we do that? So we created an online community uh, that's free to join called uh, Unlimited Agility. And that's uh, one of the things. Uh, the, the goal is really to focus and pursue servant leadership through the, because that's so abstract, through the means that we're more familiar with, which it might be lean or agile or growth mindset or human-centered design, um, DevOps. I mean, any of those things fit in there because that's the pragmatic, that's the tangible thing that we see. But servant leadership is, is still, can still be uh, the underlying set of principles there and be, uh, and, and, um, uh, be a contributing factor to the outcome of applying lean or agile or, or so forth. So uh, one of the things that we do in the community is we offer cohorts for folks who want to go through the 20 day agility challenge with others. Again, the, the point is not to go to the cohort and get the answers to the quiz that, that, that's, that, that defeats the purpose. That's not the intent at all. It's really just to say, how can, what can we do to help you ask yourself another question so you can really determine why do you believe this about agile? Why do you think agile is this? Why do you think Agile is not this? Where did you get that idea? You know, how did it come to be? And, and a lot of folks just haven't taken that time. And then the second thing they haven't done is really dig into the Agile manifesto. So that's kind of my first attempt. And I'm, I'm working on, uh, I've been trying to get a book out that would even explore that a little bit more uh, and add to it for everybody who doesn't have access to, to uh, online or at least a, rel you know, a, a consistent uh, connection, those kind of things. So we're hoping that that'll grow anymore. But we've got other things there we can talk about maybe next time. I want to amplify right before we move on from that. It's a focus on servant leadership. It's a focus on craftsmanship, which that whole journey, like Pete Breen wrote an excellent book on soft, software craftsmanship uh, quite a while ago, just talking about this is a journey. It's not something you accomplished. And so you're really talking about becoming more tomorrow than you were today and more today than yesterday, but it's a continual journey. That's one of the things I wanted to amplify is the servant leadership, the pursuit of the craftsmanship. Um, and the other interesting thing, too, that uh, your desire to foster is um, a psychologically safe, judgment-free environment where everyone is valued is really what you communicated there. And, and, and uh, the intent is a safe place to consider and think out loud and uh, get some alternative perspectives or additional or modified perspectives. Tell us about how you're mapping some of the tenets or behaviors or patterns, the types of things that you see in your love and journey of barbecue. Tell us a little about the barbecue journey. I guess uh, I'd mentioned around 2000, 1999, 2000 is when I came, came across Kent Beck's book. And uh, it was a couple years later uh, that I kind of decided, you know what, uh, I had never learned how to cook. I mean, I can cook a burger, or a hot dog outside, but that is, that was the extent, you know, that and toast, that was about the extent of my cooking ability. So, uh, uh, what I decided to do was, uh, you know, 
back then you could go down and for a hundred bucks, you could easily buy a smoker. Uh, you know, now the popularity of this has gotten to where there are hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of dollars for even a, you know, kind of a, a low, low level or entry level smoker, depending on, on what you're looking for. Um, but I got one. Uh, I made the brilliant uh, first time uh, person mistake, which is it was unassembled when I got it and I assembled it in the den and then it wouldn't go out through the, uh, the back door. Uh, you know, one of those kind of things. So I had to take a couple of parts off and, and get it out so I could get it on the porch. Um, and uh, I think ever since then, I mean, I was uh, doing every weekend, I would, would try to to smoke something. It was definitely this pursuit of, of craftsmanship. I, I, I start out with something, you know, the idea is you start with something simple. You're going to do chicken, you're going to do uh, ribs, and that's the idea. Uh, well, I'm in Texas, and Texas brisket is king. So uh, brisket's got to come up on the dial pretty quick. And uh, I think the first time or two I did chicken or, you know, sausage or something. Uh, and that's not, again, this is not grilling, this is smoking. So it's a, it's low and slow is the, is the phrase that goes with, uh, with really that type of barbecue as opposed to, uh, turn it up to 900 and try to, you know, flame kiss everything. Um, so at some point I got a brisket, I put it on there, read everything I could read. And that, again, this is free internet. So it's, it's go to the books, go to Barnes and Nobles or go to wherever, find a couple of books, uh, put your head in them for a couple of days, try to figure out what they're saying. And then, uh, and now we're going to go try it. I don't know how many mistakes I made. I'm sure there were many, but I do know that when after probably about uh, 12 to 14 hours taking a brisket off that none of us could eat it. Uh, I learned a, a very valuable principle at that time. And, and this is back when you could still buy briskets for uh, 40, 50 cents a pound. I mean, if it's on sale now, it's $2.50, uh, $2 $3. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and if it's not, it's quite a bit more than that. So it's a very expensive hobby is my point for you to make something that you can't, you know, you can't eat. And so I had to find more, uh, some of the techniques I learned, some of the principles that I learned were really to try to figure out how do I, how do I make that dollar go a little longer? Uh, how do I stretch it out and, 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 and go from there? One of the things I did uh, after talking to you was actually, I, I've, I've threatened to do this for years and I've never actually sat down and done it but was to actually go through and uh, go through the Agile Manifesto, put my, my barbecue uh, hat on and say, what really maps uh, to this idea of applying Agile values and principles to creating good barbecue? And if you're interested, uh, I thought maybe we could spend a couple minutes kind of going through that. Also right now, we're recording this podcast in the morning. I am already thinking about lunch and dinner. <laughs> Eventually, we did have to stop for lunch, and we continued to meet and discuss the Agile Manifesto, its 12 principles, and how it very much translates to creating better barbecue. Make sure you don't miss them. Subscribe to The Long Way Around the Barn. The Long Way Around the Barn is brought to you by Trility Consulting, where Matthew serves as the CEO and President. If you need to find a more simple, reliable path to achieve your desired outcomes, visit Trility.io. To my listeners, thank you for staying with us. I hope you're able to take what you heard today and apply it in your context so that you're able to realize the predictable, repeatable outcomes you desire for you, your teams, company, and clients. Thank you. Thank you.